Mark chapter 11. I'm in Luke. I need to get to Mark. Come on, say amen. There we go. Yeah, Mark chapter 11 and verse number 12, New International Version of the Bible. And would you read in concert with me? The Bible says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And that's the first time in the Bible, that it, the second time in the Bible that it makes that statement. First time when he was fasting. Now, this time, Jesus was hungry. Verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. Watch that now. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any what? <clears throat> when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Now, this is what's strange about that. It wasn't the season for figs. And then watch what happens. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Watch this. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables. Y'all ain't reading with me. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said... It is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Verse 18, the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Verse 19, when evening came, they went out of the city. Verse 20, same story. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Verse 21, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says, come on now to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Let the church say amen. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. As you are seated this morning, I want to preach on the subject. Jesus favorite food. Jesus favorite food. Jesus' favorite food. Father, we ask for your help today. We recognize that uh, this is not some kind of sermonic exposition. We're not simply here just to learn something new that we've never heard before. We're not wanting to be dazzled by homiletic gymnastics. We need a word. We need to hear a word from God. So I'm asking that you will help me to get out of the way so that you can say what it is that you would have to say. Now, Father, you know that often when I preach, I'm constantly worried as to whether people are listening. Father, I pray today that I will preach at such a steady pace by the power of the anointing of God that I will not be concerned, but that they will hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God, this is your word. You get it in your people's spirit. Get me out of the way to do that is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen, amen. and amen. As our text of scripture outlines for us, this is probably 
Well, I'll be honest. This is one of the most difficult. I, I've avoided preaching this passage of Scripture, to be honest with you. I've avoided it. And if most preachers are honest, they'll tell you that some passages of Scripture they avoid. I want to tell you a couple of reasons why I avoid preaching this passage. First of all, it is a strange story. And if you are a careful homiletician or, or, or preacher, expositor of God's word, you don't want to just assume you know what the Bible is saying. And when I approach the text of scripture, I try not to impose what I've already learned about something to the text. I try to ask God for fresh insight. Teach me something, God. Now, help me not just to rehearse what I've heard before and give cliches. And so if I do that, I'll, I'll come to a point in the text of scripture generally where I'll find something that I have no idea what it means. And so because of that, I have avoided this text of scripture because honestly, I really didn't understand where God was coming from. So I didn't want to preach something I didn't know about. Come on, say amen, somebody. Let's just keep it real in here. And so I have avoided this thing. But since we are in this this study of, of 40 for fruit and all of our messages and sermons are going to be based on this motif in the Bible of fruit bearing. One of the things you'll discover if you read the Bible carefully is that the concept of fruit, fruit and harvest and agriculture and planting seeds and seeds bringing harvest and bearing fruit. As a matter of fact, the first thing God said to Adam was be fruitful. It's all throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, over 400 times in scripture, the concept of fruit and agriculture is mentioned. But I'm going to be honest with you. I have avoided the whole teaching of it because I don't know nothing about agriculture. I know about a computer. I know how to work an iPad. And if we're honest, there may be a few folk in here from the South that grew up on some kind of farm, but most of y'all city folk, you don't know nothing about no agriculture. Some folks, some generations behind know a little something about it. But sometimes when we come to the text, and I, and I begin to realize that in order for me to understand the word of God, I've got to study all this stuff on agriculture because almost everything Jesus taught had to do with agriculture, had to do with farming. Now, I ain't about to pick up uh, no kind of garden. I mean, my wife wants a garden, but I'm not really trying to get into that. I just want to know what the word of God is trying to say. So I have studied enough. So uh, just to uh, just get what the meat of this thing. Come on in here, somebody. I am not professing to be uh, some kind of botanist. Come on, say amen. I'm just going to work with the scripture today and we'll find out what God is saying. The second reason why I have avoided this text of scripture is because it doesn't make sense. If you are, uh, if you open up any commentary, as a matter of fact, one commentary I was reading on this passage said that it did not happen. It, it didn't happen. Jesus never cursed a fig tree. Didn't happen. And their logic simply is this. It just does not line up with the consistent character of God. Follow me now. If you look all throughout scripture, Jesus is undoing the effects of sin. He's bringing life instead of destroying life. And when he, he's healing bodies, he's bringing them from a decrepit state to a healed state. Amen, somebody? He's opening up blinded eyes. He is raising people from the dead. He is making people happier. He is not making things worse. So some of y'all already got it figured out. But in my mind, I agree. I don't agree with the idea that it's that it's that it didn't happen, but it does not necessarily follow the consistent pattern of Christ. Christ is has come. He said in his word, I've not come to destroy. He says, but I came to bring life. 
He said, I want you to have life and I want you to have it more abundantly. This is the only, hear me now, this is the only time, I'm sorry, I'm all in my study now, I love, I, love, I love to study the word of God. This is the only time in scripture where Jesus does a negative thing with his power. For the most part, Jesus uses his power to do positive things, to bring about life. Come on, say amen, somebody. How many of y'all are praying, Jesus, curse me? Just loose your power on me and just curse me. Just jack stuff up in my life. But in this passage of scripture, which is the only time in the Bible, Jesus takes his power and apparently uses it for his own good. The Bible says he walks up to a tree. Now, I don't got no tree today. We're going to work with something. Come on in here, somebody. He walks up to a tree. Uh, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, you better move your head out the way, boy. You might. Huh? Come on, say amen for that tree. We're going to work with that thing. You know, that one right there will work real good. If somebody got that for me. I could work with that. Hint, hint. Somebody got that tree for me. That would work real good. Yeah, go put it right there. Put it right there. Put it right there. Yeah, yeah, go get that thing. Let's work with that one right there. Yeah, that one looks better. Come on, say amen. We injured one elder last week. We don't want to injure another one. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Amen. 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 So, so, so understand now, Jesus is not in this text undoing the effects of, of evil and destruction and sin, but he actually makes that thing worse. Throw it to me. I'll catch it. No. All right, we're going to pass it off. Let's get a handoff here. Amen. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Come on. You got it, man? You got it? Okay. All right. Amen. Give me a hand, y'all. Give me a hand. Amen. All right, so check this out. Jesus, the Bible says, they have just, here's the context, they have just called him Hosanna. He is at the end of his ministry now. He has done all these great things. The church hates his guts, but the people love it. And they say, man, we're going to crown this guy king right now. Call him Hosanna. They worship him. And so Jesus, after that, goes to the temple. And the Bible says that he pauses for a second and just observes the temple. Then he goes back home. The Bible says the next day. Somebody say the next day. The Bible says Jesus is hungry. Uh, just, I mean, I'm just amazed by stuff like that. Jesus is hungry. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is hungry. I mean, like, oh, that's awesome. Man. He's hungry. What does Jesus eat? You know, what, what does he want? I mean, I just want to know so much about it. What's his favorite food? So Jesus is hungry. And the Bible says with his disciples, he sees in the distance a fig tree. Now, understand now, uh, figs uh, in those days, I mean, figs were like, you know, sweet potatoes, man. I mean, they love figs. And, you know, I can't really get into figs, but that was Jesus' favorite food. And that's what he was looking for. So since he liked it, I guess I'm about to find a way to like it. Come on, say amen. So the Bible says he saw the fig tree from a distance. He altered his, his destination because he was hungry and he started walking towards the tree. Now, I'm going to ask a, a couple of questions here. We know what happens in the story. We got to assume he's God. He knew that the tree didn't have no fruit on it. Come on, man. I mean, come on. Dude, why you got to walk all the way over there to find out if there's no figs? You're God. You've been reading people's minds since you've been here for the past three years. Read the mind of the tree, man. Save yourself the anguish. Then Jesus breaks out in the road rage, the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus sees the tree in the distance with his disciples. Jesus is hungry. He wants something to eat. The Bible says he walks to the tree and the Bible says he begins to look through the leaves of the tree to see if there's any fruit and he cannot find any. 
Now, there's some, there are a couple of issues here that we, we have to consider. Uh, write these down. There are three preliminary thoughts that we have to consider before we, if we, go, we go any further. And, and, uh, and uh, first of all is, this was not the only tree with leaves and no fruit. So, Jesus, why are you picking on this tree? The tree was not a standalone tree by itself out in the wilderness somewhere. Some, as I used to read the text, I used to just see one tree all by itself. But this tree was in an orchard. And so there, we have to assume that there were other trees with leaves. An oak tree. Come on in here, somebody. A juniper tree. Huh? Some was a tree exactly as kind of a sycamore tree. All these trees around them, they all had leaves. And Jesus walked to this tree and singled it out out of all the trees with leaves and rebuked the tree. The Bible says he cursed a tree. Now understand now, look, look at this in the context of all of scripture. A woman was caught in adultery. She was half naked dragged into church. Caught, the Bible says, in the very act. They put, him, they put her right in front of Jesus and he didn't curse her. There are cases in scripture where people were doing things they had no business. You had sinners and thieves and robbers and murderers. Matter of fact, the Bible says that this, these are the people that Jesus spent the majority of his time with. He hung with wine bibbers and gluttons and sinners. But you never find any time in the Bible where Jesus cursed people that were blatantly doing wrong except a fig tree and Pharisees. But he didn't kill the Pharisees. He straight dry. Now, what a powerful word. Now, we're talking about the same mouth that when that mouth speaks, stars come into existence. Now, one, one I watched that video, How Great Is Our God, and it talks about how there are some stars that are 100 million times larger than our solar system. And with his mouth, he speaks that kind of star into existence. And that same mouth, dude, ease up. That's what I'm saying. I mean, with that same mouth, he speaks to a tree and says, I curse you. I came looking for fruit. I was hungry and I came. You looked like you had fruit. And this is the issue. This is the reason why Jesus cursed the fig tree. Simply because an oak tree is not purposed to give fruit. A sycamore tree is not purposed to give fruit. Come on in here, somebody. A juniper tree is not purposed to give fruit. All those other trees were doing what they were purposed to do. The problem with this tree is that its purpose is to give fruit. And when he went to the tree, it had the appearance that it had fruit, but it had none. So the second thing we need to identify is this. Write this down. There were other fig trees with neither leaves nor fruit, for it was not the season. Watch what I'm saying. Watch what I'm saying. It was the season. The Bible says it was not the season for figs. Mm -hmm. Did y'all read that? Why are you looking for fruit and then going to get mad when there's no fruit on it? And Jesus, come on, man, you created the seasons. It's not even the season for figs. I see why some people get twisted over this text. Come on, man. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It looks like Jesus is being petty and superficial over a tree. There were other fig trees in the area that had no leaves nor fruit. Right? Right, everybody? Are you with me? We are to assume this is the only tree that had leaves but didn't have fruit. 
Which brings us to our second point. Anytime a fig tree, and this is as far as I'm going to go in botany. Come on, say amen. As far as I'm going to go. Anytime a fig tree had leaves, it was a sign that it had fruit. As a matter of fact, a fig tree is one of the only trees that actually produces its fruit before it produces its leaves. So if somebody saw a fig tree with leaves, the natural assumption is, is that it's advertising fruit. Oh, come on in here, somebody. Basically, the problem here is you've got a store that's advertising a product, and when you get in there, it's sold out. Has anybody ever been there before? Huh? You call up the store. And you had one store. I remember I was at Target. I was like, you know, they got these things now. I'm looking for such and such. Well, we don't have it here. Well, can you see if the other store has it? Yes, because you advertised it in the Sunday paper. Oh, I'll see if the other store has it. Y'all know that's why they put stuff on sale in the first place because the inventory is getting low. Come on, say amen. I got this size 11 shoe and everywhere I go, they never have my size because that's what everybody wears. And so you're always finding yourself going from place to place to place trying to find something, even though they advertise it 25 percent off. And then when you get there, it's marked down again. But guess what? They don't have your size. What they're doing is they're advertising what they cannot deliver. They're advertising something that's not in stock. And so notice now, this was not the only tree that, uh, you got to assume, there was a fig tree, didn't have leaves. It wasn't a season, so it didn't have leaves or fruit. But check this out now. Jesus singled this one out out of everybody because there was, third point, something unusual about this tree. Now, I have looked all throughout. I went to the Internet. I studied everywhere. Somebody that knows something about this, you tell me. But I couldn't find it. Everybody is in agreement. There, it is just, it's, it's an unusual thing. For, I mean, it just doesn't happen rarely. It rarely happens when you have a fig tree of this nature that has leaves before fruit. It just don't happen. It doesn't make sense. It was an anomaly. Jesus walks up looking for fruit and he can't find any. Here's the issue. Oh. We have an issue here. First, of desire. Secondly, of deception. Write this down. Everybody get this down. There's a whole lot of information in here. Why was Jesus so mad at the tree? Well, Jesus wasn't really mad at the tree as much as he was mad at his people. And so, instead of cursing his people, y'all better be glad that he cursed that tree. (laughs) Because you imagine he speaks that thing. That thing will last forever. He used the tree as an object lesson. Somebody say an object lesson. As a teaching tool. Somebody say a teaching tool. To describe the current. Oh, help me God today. Please don't help the saints to get bored. Help me Jesus. He used the tree to show them themselves. Are you with me in here today? Listen to what this one brother said, Charles Spurgeon. Blew my mind. Watch this. We have a right to expect it from the work of the Spirit. Watch this now. The worst false advertising is false advertising about God. That's right. That's right. He, I mean, one, let me just throw this out here. This is, this is personal. From a child, one of the things I hate the most is being misunderstood. Oh, I hate that, man. I hate being misunderstood and being misrepresented. 
Well, what they had said you said was, oh, no, no, I didn't say that. That's me. I don't know about you. No, I did not. Now, let's get this thing clear. I mean, now listen, man, I ain't a perfect person, but there's one thing I will go to my grave on. I am sincere. I am sincere. And I get so sincerely injected and stuff. And when people try to misrepresent and make it look like me, that, I don't know about y'all, but that stuff bothers me. Now, I'm a human being and a sinner. Can you imagine how God feels who has never made a mistake, who does nothing wrong? He has, I mean, he has blessed his people. He has provided for his people. He has saved his people. He has filled and given them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And after all these blessings, they would dare misrepresent him. Watch this. Watch this. The only strategy, stay here, y'all, that God has to win the world to him is us. Can you imagine having just a little stash of money? That's all you got. This is the only thing you have left. And you're going to use this stash of money to provide the survival that you have to continue for the next few days. And somebody takes that. God is not leaving heaven and coming down here and fixing his reputation. He literally is dependent. God is depending on us to rightly represent him. Now you search all throughout the Bible. His anger I have only seen is manifested against two things. Unproductiveness, false advertising, promise and profession without product. He despises when people misrepresent him. Amen. Look in Proverbs, the sixth chapter. He says there are six things God hates. Yea, seven. And over and over in that text, it repeats itself. Basically, he hates a lying tongue. He hates misrepresentation. He hates it when somebody says, I am connected with God, but their life has no living evidence. That they are, you are better off telling people you don't go to church. Stop running around here telling folks you Adventist. Stop it. Stop running around here telling folks you, I mean, we get into arguments with people on the job about a day. The brothers and sisters, you are better off keeping your mouth shut about what you believe. God cannot stand a person that talks about heaven, but their lives are not in line with his will. Sometimes my wife gets on me because I have a tendency, some, just like this guy, man, trying to, you know what I'm saying? You know, I got a little pride issue. Help me, Lord. Amen. 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 Looking down, your nose is at me. You got pride, too. Shucks. So the nerve of these folk, huh? Looking at me like that. And so, man, this cat, man, I told you the other day, man, tried to make it seem like, I, you know, because I was dressed down, looked a certain way. You know what I'm saying? You must be from Kinsman in 55th. Like, first of all, that there's no negativity about that. 
But in his mind, he was suggesting that because of the way you look, you must be some part time criminal. And man, I pull this thing. My wife never does this, but I'm like, my, I'm a pastor, dude. And then I'll knock you out, too. I'll punch you in your face. Your mama, your mama, come over here. Punch you in your mouth. I'm better off not saying any. See, we are very quick to identify ourselves as believers. I want to tell, let's do something. Let's vote that we will no longer, with our mouths, tell people what we are. Listen, it's not about what you say. Listen, listen to Spurgeon. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Now, this is mind-blowing. This is why God is so bothered by this. Because watch this. In the mind of God, it doesn't make sense that he is in somebody and they have bear no fruit. Now, let me say this. I've been trying to say this since I've been here. I please hope you're getting it. Not many of us are converted. I told you last week, there ain't 50. It is an impossibility to be in God and God in you and you not bear much fruit. The problem then has to be you. And then I hear some people say stuff like, well, Pastor, you don't understand. Uh, these folks, they're not going to hear me. Peter's first Peter 316 says that your relationship with God ought to be so tight and so connected and your righteousness should be so Jesus-like that even your enemies, when they talk about you, have to stumble over their words and say, but, but I can't front. This person is crazy about God. Well, they don't like me. That's why they feel that way about me. According to scripture, when God is in you, his power is so strong that even your haters got to admit they love God, though. Can't stand them. But he walks with Jesus. Now watch this. He says, Spurgeon says, shall the Holy Spirit work in a man's heart to produce a trifle? Do you think that the spirit of God would have written us his book and that Jesus Christ would have shed his precious blood to produce a hypocrite? When we advertise and don't have spiritual goods in stock, we're essentially saying that Jesus died. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. He gave me all this truth to be a do-nothing Christian. Look, look, let me keep reading Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, he says, I suppose... God's plan. Oh, no. He said he says is an inconsistent Christian. The highest work of God. I mean, look, look what he said. After all God has done in your life, the best that God can do is to produce a tree with no fruit on it. I suppose God's plan of salvation to be that which has more exercised his thoughts and wisdom than the making of all the worlds and the sustenance of all providence. And shall, his, and shall this best, 
his highest, the darling of his work, Tomalas, produce no more than that man who is mean, <laughs> talkative, unacting, fruitless deceiver. See, understand now. We have this Charles Spurgeon, you gotta get it for me. You understand now. We we have our view of what righteousness is, and God has his. Can I can I flip it now? We you can tell what people value based on what gets them upset and what gets them happy. We get upset when somebody's dressed inappropriately. Yes, sir. We get upset when somebody dances. We get upset when somebody eats something that we don't think is appropriate. We get upset basically when people make us uncomfortable. But if you look throughout all of scripture, Jesus never got mad at the stuff that we get mad about. You know what Jesus got mad at? He got mad at somebody that called themselves Adventist, called themselves a Christian, called themselves a believer, called themselves Holy Ghost filled. But yet they're mean, yet they're nasty, yet they have division in their life, yet their heart is full of wickedness. And Come on in here. Am I telling the truth? I am not spinning this thing today. God showed me in his word. He said, Myron, you guys get mad about stuff that don't bother me. Have I poured out my spirit to produce a tree with no fruit on it? Did I die on the cross to produce mean Christians? Am I interceding in the heavenly heavenlies so that people could talk about each other and then quote Ellen White? You've got to agree with me today. I'm telling you. I know what I'm talking I know this is the word of God. He did not get mad at somebody with an with a, with a eyebrow ring. Amen. And, and see, there are some of us, we're so nervous right now. Oh my God, fix it, Pastor, fix it. But, but, but tell him it's not right. Don't know. No. Because our problem is we want the Holy Spirit so that we can use the Holy Spirit instead of asking for the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit of God can use us. You have no love for souls? What's your ministry? I'm in the choir. There were no choirs. Jesus went in the choir. Here's your example. What are you saying? See, listen, we want a ministry where we don't really have to physically touch people. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. Thank God he didn't work behind the scenes in your life. Let's understand. I understand people's gift, but a lot of times we make excuses 
because we don't want people to know us. It's all self. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yes, sir. He says, you have no love for souls, no care for the spread of the Redeemer's kingdom, and you come in here and get mad when they don't preach the sermon you like. Yeah, man. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. You get mad because you don't like the way the bulletin looks. I was mad the other day at a church, and uh, you know, well, I, I leave it alone. I, mean, I was mad. I was just like, man, you know, this uh, I'm ready to preach, man. We taking so long worshiping. Duh, they worshiping. Shut your mouth and worship. We're so easily offended, man. No, I mean, everything got, we, I mean, the Holy Spirit, God, the preacher, everybody, we all going to tiptoe around us. Don't offend them. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're offended. And watch it now because God, the stuff we ought to be mad about is that in Cleveland, we got a 40% graduation rate. We ought to get mad about sex trafficking that's happening in Cleveland. Get mad on that. Well, uh, look at, look, we look at our watch. We ought to get mad that we live in a country where people are still being judged by the color of their skin versus the content of their character. Understand, when Jesus came, we, we ought to be mad at the mistreatment and the misogyny of women. We ought to get mad that age is being passed out from generation to generation. We ought to get mad about crack and about, and about drugs. And, and we ought to get mad about methamphetamines. And we ought to get mad about breaking families and divorce. We ought to get mad about that. But we really ought to get mad at ourselves. And I'm talking to me. I'm fourth generation Adventist. I got Ellen White on this. I got the Sabbath school lesson on this. I got a master's of divinity and I almost got a doctorate in, in, in ministry. And after all of that, God is saying, I'm peering through your tree and I don't see no fruit. Talk about you want the Holy Ghost. And I asked this question on Wednesday night. If the Spirit of God were to fall in Cleveland in the next five minutes, just like he fell at Pentecost, and 3,000 people walked in here right now from every background, Catholics, Muslims, whatever, whatever background they're from, homosexuals, whatever background, uh, drug addicts, I don't, whatever, schemers and, and backstabbers, if they all flooded here and the Holy Spirit fell just like he did at Pentecost, and they say, what shall we do? And we said, be baptized. How would you treat them after they came in? Oh, Pastor, hold on, hold on. We need, we need, we need, we, uh, well, uh, uh, how many of y'all shack it up? Well, we can't handle it. It's too many of y'all out there. How, Pastor, how are we going to filter all these people? Let me go here. What is the fruit that we're talking about? 
What fruit? What do you mean? Fruit? What? 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 No fruit. I get it. But what is it? Let's look at some scriptures and then we'll close. Go to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. You know what? There's got to be more to this Christian thing than what we're seeing. That's all I'm saying. Just coming and showing up. And, we, and, the, and the deacons are dressed appropriately and the pastor's got his bow tie and we got the screens and, you know, we're doing stuff. And we're in middle class. And what fruit? I'm telling you, if Christ is the example, and I don't think we've embraced that yet. We've embraced being a good whatever you think is good. But what I'm saying is, and what the word of God is saying is, is that the example, our lives should be a replica of Jesus. Yes, man. Yes, man. Yes. 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 Yes, man. Yes. Yes. Psalms 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of what? Of markers. But whose delight is in the law of the world, everybody, and who meditates on his law day in. That person is like a tree. Watch it now. Planted by streams of waters. So first thing we need to understand is a person that bears fruit is somebody who plants themselves by the streams of living water. The streams of living water is Jesus Christ through the word of God. And many of the philosophies that we have about church are not biblical. That's right, man. That's right. Not at all. Tradition, man. Which yields its fruit in what, everybody? Now, here's the problem with this tree. The Bible says that it wasn't even a season for fruit. So my question is, is, hey, tree, why are you looking like you got fruit and it ain't even your season? And now, now, now can I talk to us SDAs for a minute? And, and this is what I found out. There are some of us who joined this church because we wanted the upper hand on other denominations. We like saying that our stuff is right. We like believing that we're better than other people. So we produce leaves before the season. And some of you are saying, well, that's not me. Well, then it ain't you. But I know what I'm talking about. Listen to our conversations. We thrive on the fact that we live eight years longer than other people. We have colleges. We have Oakwood, Loma Linda. We have the spirit of prophecy and we have the truth. And these other believers out there, they are insignificant to us. We are the apple of God's eye. And we are already saved because we're showing leaves before season. To show leaves before season is to suggest that I made it when I have not. And I will not disagree. I'm, I'm a seventh day Adventist pastor, aren't I? 
I believe in this truth. Come on, say amen, somebody. But I should never profess to have it better than somebody else simply because God favored me with grace and God favored me with truth. You used to be Baptist. You used to be Pentecostal. You used to be Apostolic. You, you, don't you act like you all that now simply because God put you still a mess. You still need grace. You still need cleansing. You still need the blood. You still need the blood. You still need the blood. We still need it. How'd I do that? <laughs> Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, 15. Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20. What fruit? First of all, we got to be planted by rivers of waters so that we bring forth fruit in season. Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. We working with it? Let me get my Bible. Oh, there we go. The Bible says, watch out, come on everybody, for what? False prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Next. By their, you will what? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Next verse. Likewise, every good tree Bears what, everybody? But a bad tree bears bad fruit. There is nothing wrong with our church. There's something wrong with you. Next verse. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The Bible says, thus, by their fruit, you will what, everybody? Now, it's amazing because people, I mean, people love to say, now, we shouldn't, you don't judge, you don't be judging. Let me tell you the difference between judging and being a fruit inspector. To judge means to say somebody is going to hell or somebody's going to heaven. That's what judgment, being judgmental means. It means you have determined somebody's destination. But to inspect fruit simply means you take what they're feeding. How are you going to say I'm not saved? Because you're a gossiper. You talk about people all the time. That ain't the Holy Ghost. That's right, How you going to say I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? Because look at the way you treat your family. Well, well. You got family members in the church and you don't talk to them. That's not the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. I'm, 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 the Holy Ghost is beating my behind right now. Y'all just don't know it. Amen. I'm coming out with all this bravado, bravado but the Amen. Spirit of God kicking my behind right now. Yes. Help me, God. Yes. I want to be holy, Lord, but this thing is tough. Yes, sir. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, Amen. that's profession. I'm this, I'm that, I believe this, I've been in this long, I've been this, so-and-so was baptized, he baptized me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's true, man. But only the one who does the will, the will of my Father in heaven. Uh, 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 many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name run revivals? 
and in your name preach Sabbath and preach state of the dead and preach the sanctuary in your name God did we not declare Babylon is fallen and I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you eat now notice the emphasis evil doer see the emphasis on bearing fruit is not just thinking and believing but see something in this thing ought to produce something tangible now we're not talking preaching righteousness by works what we're saying is is when somebody is in connection with Christ there will be fruit next verse Next verse. Let us go to John 15 and 5. I'm almost done. Please let me get these scriptures out. John 15 and 5. Now I broke some stuff. Y'all got to help, help a preach out. Let me just get this out. <laughs> Amen. Uh, John 15 and 5. Hmm. I am the vine. You are the If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear how much fruit, everybody? Do you hear what? And see, this is why Jesus was so upset. Because he's like, first of all, you selling fruit. And then it ain't none. The problem with this is, if he saw one piece of fruit, he would have been mad. If he saw two pieces of fruit, he would have been mad. If he saw three, he would have been mad. You know why? Because when Christ gets in you, yeah, you bear yeah, much fruit. Yes, and then, and, then, and then he ends it by saying this. He says, you will bear much fruit, and this is why we're able to do it. This is why we'll overcome sin. This is why we'll overcome bitterness. Because apart from me, ye can do what, everybody? When God is, see, this, this is the difference. We've been trying so hard to do stuff on our own, trying to be nice, trying to be loving, trying to be sweet, trying to have self-control, trying to get free, and trying to come back to church, and trying to love our family, and trying to love our wives. But when God gets in you, you ain't trying anymore because God is loving your wife, and God's loving your children, and God is loving your family, and God is doing it. He's in you. It's in you. He's living in you. He Christ in you, the hope of glory. Two kind of fruit. Fruit number one, character. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 22. Two kinds of fruit. First one is character. It's a mindset. If I think right, I'll do right things. Galatians 5 and verse 22. I believe that's my text. Is that right? Galatians, we there? The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? That's a, that's a quality. That's an attitude. Joy. Mm, peace. Come on. Forbearance. Huh? Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And what, everybody? Against such there is no law. So understand now, these are all attributes of an attitude. They are inner, not outer. So why are we always trying to clean folk up from the outside? If the Holy Ghost is trying to work on the inside. So the first one is character. So mindset. Number two, and our last one, is behavior. Go to Colossians 1, 9 through 10. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. First, we have character, good motives. Because some of us do good stuff, but ain't with the right motive. <laughs> so your spirit got to be right. Come on, somebody in here. 
How many know you be needing a spirit check every now and then? Yeah. Oh, help me, Lord, to have a right mind. Lord, have mercy. Let this mind be in you. The Bible says, Colossians 1, uh, uh, Colossians 1 9 through 10, the Bible says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not done what, everybody? Stop praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that is in that, that the what, whoever, that the spirit gives. Oh, that's what, this thing is all in the spirit. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every what? Bearing fruit in every good what? So fruit bearing are good works. It's a mindset and then they're good works. So if I think right, if, my, if God changes my heart, I will do good works. And this is what I'm going to say. The kind of good works, what are you talking about? What kind of works did Jesus do? What if there was a book written recently on this guy who basically was going to imitate literally the life of Jesus for a whole year? That's some radical stuff. It's so radical that we wouldn't know what to do. I mean, just walking down the street, man, and loving on folk, telling folk I'm coming to your house today. <laughs> The stuff Jesus was able to get away with, he was able to get away with it because people saw love in him. That's it. That's the difference. Yeah, that's mm. right. That's the difference, man. Mm. So we must have character and good works. Last thing I want to read. Put the statement up there, Marna. Um, and I'll end there. Are you, are you getting what, I'm, what we're trying to convey here? In other words, brothers and sisters, we're not dissing Doctrine. What we're saying is, and there's actually a statement. Ellen White says that the fruit of the spirit is the application of the law of God in daily living. It's amazing. People think they're keeping the law because they keep Sabbath. And they don't have the fruit of the spirit. You cannot be a law keeper and not have the fruit of the spirit. You're keeping the Sabbath, but you mean... You are not going to heaven. You cannot. And I'm like commenting on this. This is what she says. She says, this warning is for all time. The, the, the warning, what warning? By him cursing a tree. The Bible says the next day, man, the disciples came back. Peter was like, cool, man. I mean, the tree, some trees have a stump and they have withered branches. Mm-hmm. But when they got there, that joint was dead from the roots. <laughs> Christ's act in cursing the tree, which his own power had created, oh my, stands as a warning to all churches and to all Christians. Are y'all ready now? No one can live the law of God without ministering to others. But there are many who do not live out Christ's merciful, unselfish life. Some who think themselves excellent Christians do not understand what constitutes service for God. They plan 
and study to please themselves. They act only in reference to self. Time is of value to them only as they can gather for themselves. So it's always a waste of their time. You know my schedule. <laughs> oh, in all the affairs of life, this is their object. Not for others, but for themselves do they minister. Next. God created them to live in a world where unselfish service must be performed. He designed them to help their fellow men in every possible way. Somebody asked me a question the other day. They said, we can tell if we have the mind of Christ based on how many non-church friends we have. For most of us, our whole circle is church folk. If you look at Jesus, he only had 12 people from church that he hung with. Everybody else was not believers. But self, oh Lord, here it is. Help me, Lord. But self is so large that they cannot see anything else. Help me, Jesus. They are not in touch with humanity. Those who thus live for self are like the fig tree, which made every pretension but was fruitless. They observe the forms of worship, but without repentance or faith. In profession, they honor the law of God, but obedience is lacking. They say, but do not do. In the sentence pronounced on the fig tree, Christ demonstrates how hateful in his eyes is this vain pretense. Well, I want to praise God today that he cursed the tree because it should have been me. Can I get a witness? Thank you, Jesus, for patience. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit that has every right to cut it down. But you say, give it one more year. Thank you, Jesus, that you keep calling my name. Even though you have placed big time investment in me and I have not made good on the investment, you have not thrown me to the trash. Thank you, Jesus, that you keep calling me and sending the word to me and keep reminding me and you keep sending grace my way and mirth. Thank you, Lord, that you keep putting breath in my lungs and blood through my veins when I have not even justified my existence. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who keeps striving with my stubbornness and striving with my attitude and striving with my selfishness and working me out in spite of my rebellion and, and me falling over and over and, and, and then and then and then Father, I want to thank you today that even though even though I have straight up ignored your word concerning me 
that you keep on coming after me. God, what is it about me? I ain't born no fruit yet. And, and yet you figure somehow, some way, I'm gonna work something out in his life. Thank you, God, that you see more in me. Have I got anybody in here that just wants to thank him right now? You want to thank him for mercy. Thank him for long suffering. Thank him for his provision for you. God, you keep blessing me and you know ain't nothing coming out. Thank you, Jesus, for hanging with a tree that looks good on the outside, but it's dead on the inside. Have I got anybody in here who's not too sedity to get on your feet and thank the Lord that he did not cut you down? How about thank you for raising my children? Father, I don't know how they came out halfway decent because there was nothing in me. Thank you, Lord, for using me as selfish as I was. You'd still let the Holy Ghost get in me. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I want to thank you today, Father, that the folk that I mistreated I thank you that they have not turned their backs on me and that you gave me another chance to say I'm sorry or to ask for forgiveness or to repent of my sins. Does anybody know what it feels like to know that much is required but much has not been delivered and yet in spite of the fact that you ought to be cut from the team and put on the bench, the Lord says start him. Start him. Put him out there on the but He don't got no game. Start him. Let him play. Because sooner or later, he's going to have faith in God. And he's going to speak to a mountain. And it will be moved. It will be cast into the sea. He's going to wake up one day and know that the Lord is his strength. One day he's going to get his mind right. And his heart is going to be unselfish. And he'll get delivered from his worldliness. Thank you, Lord, that you see more in me. Man, Jesus cursed that tree, man. They came by and saw that thing there. But in 2012, come on in here, somebody. In 2012, the Holy Ghost sees that tree lying there. It's been cursed and dried up at the roots. It's got leaves all around it, but nothing in it. And the Spirit of God comes and pours a little bit in us. Pours a little word in us. Pours more. And puts new mercies on us. And puts grace in us. And next thing you know, we start standing up and, and more and more. He, he keeps pouring. He poured. And then when he didn't stop, he poured out his own life. He poured out his blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Need thy hand hath provided.